Hi there, everybody. This is Jad. I'm one of the writers here at The Workprint. Thank you so much for joining me on Movie Talk, um, episode number five or six. It's a really fun one. Please check it out and uh, subscribe to us on our, um, you know, Apple uh, podcast uh, subscription under The Workprint specifically, where you can hear other really great podcasts that have to do with a lot of TV shows and books um, currently out there. Today, I'm joined by two very awesome guests, really good friends of mine. Uh, they are the co-creators and co-hosts of a very popular podcast that is consistently in the top 100 um, podcasts within Places and Travel on Apple Podcasts, and that is uh, Mr. Dustin Ballard and Mr. Michael Ryan. Thank you so much for uh, joining me, guys. Thank you Thanks so much. Here, awesome. I'm really happy to have you guys on here. Um, for all who are listening, they do this great um, outdoor podcast where they talk about hiking and nature and all that. Um, and it's really phenomenal. You guys can subscribe to it. Uh, Dusty or Mike, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about how you started that podcast before we start reviewing uh, the movie or the documentary Spaceship Earth? Sure. So we had been traveling together um, for quite some time, for about uh, two or three years. Um, and we had started to really tackle the national parks. Um, around the time that we had hit 10 national parks, uh, we thought, why not, why not create like a shared Instagram account that we can kind of share our adventures with friends and family and, and other people, um, because we were separately sharing on each of our individual accounts. And, and then that kind of like started a conversation of how we could share a little bit more of, of our adventures and kind of really talk about the parks and the trails, um, which Dusty will tell you, um, there was a lot of issue with finding information about trails. Yeah, that's right. So we were, um, we love hiking trails. We, uh, when we started, uh, I mean, like we've been friends for a long time, but one of the first sort of like things we used to do would go on long walks and like sometimes we would, you know, make those like marathon length walks. And then we sort of transition that into walks in national parks, which means hikes in national parks. And it was really, uh, there was only like a couple of places to really find trail information. You could either find it out like on the, like specifically in national parks, you could find out on the website uh, and you could see, you know, just sort of like, it's this elevation gain or this length and maybe this is what you'll see or this is where it goes. Um, and then you could also talk to a ranger about it um, and they could essentially tell you much of the same information and they would also tell you if it was like clear or what, you know, um, what the trail conditions were like or, but to really find out what it was like to hike a trail, you could, the only place to find that info was either in the comments section of the All Trails app or if you were lucky enough to talk to somebody who had done it. And we always preferred that. We always wanted to talk to people who had done the trail before. And we, uh, we said, you know, like, that's what I think our show could, could do is give listeners um, that, uh, that experience of talking to somebody who had done the trail. And so um, that is why we are the show that is all about um, one hiking trail and one national park, one park at a time. So we do lots of hiking trails in one day, and then each one of our episodes features one of those trails, sometimes more than one if we do like mm -hmm. some shorter trails, but most of the time it's just one. Um, <clears throat> and our full-length episodes are bi-weekly, and then in between we do our short-form episodes called Trail Mix, which 
lets us dive deeper into um, other parts about the National Park Service or other trails nearby or um, uh, history of uh, some, you know, some of the things that we, you know, get into on the show, we can provide more context in the trail mix episodes. That's excellent. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I do recommend it to all my listeners here. Um, I'm a big fan of nature and, and the environment, so I, I'd like to get out as much as I can uh, to go out hiking. So I do appreciate what you guys do, especially since I've never really hiked in the United States a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple places in New Jersey. I've done a lot more international hikes and stuff. Um, so it's, uh, it's great. It kind of like inspires me a little bit. Now I want to go out to these different places that you've seen. Yes, um, and we want to get back there too. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, so we're dying yeah. to get back out there. So the best thing we can do, I think, is actually kind of watch stuff about um, kind of the ecology around us, right? And uh, for this to, for this episode, we're going to talk about um, this really awesome documentary that just dropped a couple of days ago on Hulu called Spaceship Earth. What do you guys think of it? First thoughts? Well, you know, um, I mean, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, I was going to say, Chad, when you when you text us to you know see this movie i was like i was like oh i've never i didn't even hear about this movie but like based on the name of it and based on what you said i was like oh this sounds like it's going to be like a really like um educational or highly intellectual like uh documentary about just like science and discoveries and like i found that it was not that kind of movie at all and i really really liked what kind of movie it was but i um yeah it took me for a surprise right i think um the format of it and the way the documentarians kind of like molded this documentary i was really pleased with um and i knew a little of the history i feel like i had done like a you know, like a Wikipedia deep dive at some point, like in the past about it. Um, Plus, you know, there was the movie Biodome. So I feel like I was inspired as a child to like look into this more. Um, But um, I was really intrigued by the film the entire time. And I I liked the journey of the story and how they were able to kind of present that from where they started to where they ended up. Um, Yeah, I thought it was great. So it's funny you mentioned Biodome because I think the one <laughs> thing that's really missing in this movie is Polly Shore. Right? Yeah. Oh God. Um, yeah. <laughs> and was uh, it uh, was it Stephen Baldwin? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. it was Stephen Baldwin back yeah. before all the craziness. I guess that he fell into right. Yeah. Or was well, that a different yeah. Baldwin? I, I don't know. There's Baldwin's so many of them. <laughs> a lot of them have some crazy happening right. in their life. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, one thing I like to do with the work print guys is that um, I try to avoid kind of like mainstream. Um, film and cinema. I do it like from time to time, but I try to find something that's very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And I love it when people, um, or rather when pieces are kind of futuristic in nature. And I felt that this was a documentary that kind of uh, touched a lot upon futurism, but it was a lot more grounded than one would think, as Dusty kind of had mentioned earlier. Uh, so the documentary follows this guy named John Allen. Dusk, can you tell us a little bit about him? Sure. So, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, um, it was, I mean, at the very beginning of the movie, the first shot you see is like all those um, uh, uh, biospherians going into the biosphere too. Right, right. And then it like jumps way back in time. And it's, they're interviewing all these people and they all just have this affinity for this man named John Allen. And John Allen was apparently this man who had graduated from Harvard. 
He was from Oklahoma. He had yes. Been, yeah, he, he'd done a lot in his life. He did a lot, but he was just like, everybody was like, he's such a genius. He's such a visionary. He's our leader. Um, and so um, it didn't, like, I was really glad, like, at the beginning of the movie when they um, contextualized, like, all of these people met each other in, like, the late 60s, early 70s, when, like, people were forming groups and doing projects and, like, communes were part of culture. So, like, the idea of, like, following this person who was this sort of, like, leader of this group didn't seem so out of the ordinary. Um, but that was that was who he was. He was essentially the leader of the, um, of the synergists, which was the group that they formed. And, um, and all of these people ended up following him through this group. And they're very pragmatic in nature. I think you mentioned uh, communes earlier, which was really interesting. Uh, a lot of communes, communes especially uh, like within the 60s and such, tend to be a bit more like idealistic, right? Or uh, rather like value-oriented or lifestyle-oriented in the way they run things when even though they kind of took that approach, they were much more pragmatic in the sense, or they actually called it capitalistic, if you guys remember. Um, right. They said they left San Francisco because they felt that the commune scene had kind of become capitalistic and it had been like um, tainted, essentially. So they corrupted they to... by commercialism, is yeah. what she said. Oh, well, there you go. Um, so they wanted to find, um, they wanted to basically plot out their own course and, um, they looked for a place outside of San Francisco to do that. Yep. And they settled, I believe in Arizona, right? Was it Arizona or New Mexico? Mexico. Yeah. It was one of those two. One of those two. I think the biosphere itself was constructed in Arizona. Yes. Yes. But I think the, I think the ranch, um, and I can't remember the name of the ranch off the top of my head. Senior GS. I think that ranch is where they settled. And I think that was in New Mexico. Yeah. Synergia. Yeah. yeah, but the Absolutely. the idea of that, like, they were, like, at the, at the beginning, they said, you know, like, they found each other, and then somebody in an interview was like, and we were all curious, like, what did we want our project to be? Did we want it to be theater or art or the environment or sustainability? And they were like, let's do all of it. So, like, that's... Right, right. That's, but there was always this, yes this capitalistic goal underneath everything. Like they were, you know, they were building every, they were, you know, doing all these projects and building all these different things, but it was always in service of ultimately making money somehow, some way. But if I can interject, I think a lot of their ethos was to go to a place to do a project to ultimately like enhance the value of that space in some way, shape or form. And they had so many different ventures going um that like one was they they built a hotel in Kathmandu they I'm trying to think of some of the other things that they built a I mean there was the art gallery in London there was something in the Australian outback yes um so I feel like there was a greater you know I think I think capitalism or you know making money was sort of the byproduct they were out there moving and shaking to try to change the world in some way um and i think everyone was that joined the group had to have some sort of project um because the one um scientist who ends up in the biosphere i believe it was mark nelson um he was introduced early in the film as you know um, not really having a place to go. He was a cab driver for a little while. 
Um, he ends up, you know, at Synergia, you know, he's lost his father when he was really young. So he's like very taken with John Allen. Um, and so his project became, you know, maintaining the orchard or starting the orchard at Synergia. And then eventually he ended up in Australia in the outback for 10 years of his life, he said, I think before Biosphere 2 happened. So I feel like the idea was, you know, rooted in the fact that they all contribute in some way and that contribution is um, is beneficial on a global scale, not just to them. Yeah. And there was something to their like group identity with that contribution. Like everybody has, even if like you um, are lost at the beginning, ultimately you will find some way to contribute. Right. Exactly. So you guys actually touched upon a couple of themes uh, that I noticed throughout this documentary uh, that I would like to dissect a little bit with you guys. Um, The first one is this idea of collectivism, right? Um, You know, we can see in this case, as well as other different cases, uh, that the more people that are involved that have this kind of shared mission, right? The more things are going to be able to be done or Mm -hmm. accomplished. So, you know, obviously they went down um, kind of the capitalistic route. They turned themselves into a company. They were able to travel to different countries and set up businesses there and make an income in order to fund their much larger projects. And I think, I think that's like kind of one of the most underrated aspects about this documentary, as well as a few other documentaries, such as Wild Wild Country. It's the fact that you have so many people from so many different walks of life, right? That are essentially led by these academics coming together to make something. Right. Regardless of what that something is, right? With Wild Wild Country, it was a little bit more dubious with the Rajniti uh, cult. Uh, but with this one here, um, you know, Mike, you did mention an ethos to it, which I thought was very fascinating. How do you guys feel about this idea of collectivism? Because you can see it kind of occurring on a much larger scale with them too, but they're also combining, for example, the concept of theater and the concept of science together, right? So they're, they're kind of bringing in these different ideas. There's almost like an intersectionality to it. What do you guys think? Well, it seemed like theater was the driving force behind everything, that that was like the movement and, you know, the idea of taking on roles, like I think uh, trans uh, transposed into their own working um, mentality. Like, um, you know, they're all taking on roles in some way, shape or form that build into this larger theatrical piece, you know, be it actually theater or not. Like they are they're working with one another to kind of create something larger. And and isn't that what a theater piece is in general, a bunch of different actors working together on a stage to, to bring something to life, to, you know, put something out into the world. Something that like John said, I believe, or somebody said that John said was that like, it's all theater. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I really, I really agree with that. So like something, I mean, I'm a theater artist that is, you know, the, the kind of work that I do. And bias, so like, bias, bias. I, I get that. And I do, I agree with that, but like something about, um, they don't, they don't really like talk about like the larger sort of context of what theater history looked like at that time. But what was happening was like, um, the, during this time, right? Like we have, um, we have, okay. So we've like, left the, you know, people have returned from World War II. We've started this family and then, or people have started families. And like, for a long time, it's like, here's this idea of this nuclear family. And then when those children grew up, they sort of rejected that idea of like, this is what life is supposed to look like. And so a lot of that, 
um, tr- like just transitioned itself into people finding each other and finding these groups. And theater was like an entryway for so many of them to make stuff, right? Like so many different kinds of like companies were formed because it was like, they were, you know, at first they were like, well, we'll be a theater company because at that point in time, it was like, you know, television was still very young. And so like, we didn't have this sort of like flock to televisions or screens for entertainment. Like you could, you could like, decently book yourself as a theater company, like in various different places, um, you know, and like make, you know, enough money to like keep your theater company going. And what ended up happening is like this idea of like experimenting with like the limits of theater and how far different, like, you know, what are all of the bounds of theater that you can explore inside of this? And then there, and there are those that like stayed, true and stayed theater companies. And there are those that like evolved and like were like born, like born into new different kinds of companies. But the idea that theater is at the root is like that to me, I was like, that makes so much sense. It makes so much sense because like it was a time for like experimenting about experimenting with how we told stories and what stories we wanted to tell, you know, like, Hair the musical came out of this time. And it was like the first time a piece of musical theater was so political and so like directly in response to what was happening. And that was like such a, that was, you know, so groundbreaking in a way because it was like the first time that, you know, somebody was responding so immediately to something. And so um, this, uh, when I was sitting there watching it, I was like, yeah, I, this is why the arts is important. Like, it's the, it's the entryway into everything else. Like you have to artistically know how to like think like a theater maker in order to be able to like, you know, build something like a biosphere too. Absolutely. What do you think, Mike? I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I'm an, I'm a visual artist, so I'm coming at it from, you know, a a similar background, but also a very different background. So I, I feel like that, that nature of collaborating and that nature of, you know, putting forth a vision, um, you know, these people were dreamers. Uh, they, they are people that are inspired by so many different things. Um, you, you think about the ship that they built from scratch without having any experience in building a ship. Um, and you look at that as a part of their trajectory, you know, and how could they not come up with Biosphere 2? Um, how could that not be their eventual, like, landing pad? Um, and if not that, then how not, you know, how wasn't it something else? Um, but I think very quickly it became clear that, um, you know, despite the fact that they were making money for these larger ventures, there was an underlying concern about uh, the planet um, the, the health of the planet, um, environmentalism. Um, you look at some of those books that they're reading there, there's like a sort of like a montage shot of, um, montage is probably not the right word for a documentary, but there's, there's a, several cuts of, um, books that the collective are reading. And, you know, there was, um, Spaceship Earth by, um, oh my gosh, uh, the, uh, the domes. I can't remember his name. Buckminster Fuller. Thank you. It just like came to me. <laughs> yeah, the geodesic um, William, William S. Burroughs was rad. 
Um, and then they also had Sil Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, who really kind of like was the shot in the arm for the modern environmental movement. Um, so I feel like, you know, they're this group, they, they were able to dream so big, but they were inspired by so many things. And I feel like, you know, despite the fact that they were making money, it was ultimately in service to others in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I think the idea of the biosphere that, you know, came from all of this, um, the idea of like preserving the planet and also being able to study how we could, you know, manage um, an enclosed environment um, so that potentially one day moving into space travel would become a little easier. And, you know, there were a lot of films and, and science fiction that they were, um, inspired by, uh, the, one of the first things they talk about, um, one of the first people in the documentary who we see throughout, um, whose name escapes me, she was not one of the Biospherians, but she was a part of the collective. Um, she talks about, um, Mount Analog, um, and it's this book that, you know, this is how she meets John Allen. It's this book where these people go to an island that had never, that no one had ever been to before. Um, and, so it's, I think that theme just kind of carries out this idea of like progressing and moving to, you know, taking what we know and taking what we have and how do we then um, level up or how do we get to, you know, the next step um, to then like carry humanity forward. And maybe that seems very lofty, but I feel like this was like part of their underlying, you know, their underlying structure that, you know, there was always some sort of service to others i feel like and i feel like in the um going back to collectivism there was um i feel like that still exists today i feel like people are still you know like looking for groups you know i mean everybody at their core just wants to belong to somewhere you know or to something and i think all these people found that like not only do they want to belong but they wanted to do something greater and so, like, it doesn't surprise me that later on in the documentary, they got into, like, being accused of being a cult and, like, all this kind of stuff. I was going to ask about that. Do you guys feel that they were manipulative in any way? Because it seemed like every single step that they did was very methodical, right? They started off with theater. There's this idea of the roles, right? There's this idea of a control of some sort. You're working within a specific environment, if you will. You know, um, you know what did it for me? I don't feel like... Like, I, this, the thing that, like, got me on board when I went, like, this, this is a group that I think actually, like, has hit it on the head and is, like, like, making the right choices was when they, like, created the theater piece to explore all of the things that could go wrong inside of the biosphere and then performed it. I was, like, absolutely yes. Only, like, people who are, like, thinking of the ultimate, like, greater sort of vision for something would even have that idea. You know what I mean? Like, so that's why I feel like, I don't know, like, n no, I didn't feel like they were, I mean, though, they didn't get into, like, did they have to give part of their income to John Allen? Did they have to, like, they didn't do right. the breakdown of all of that stuff or anything like that. But, you know, like, they didn't all have to get, you know, the same tattoos and they didn't all right. have to, like, say you know, like, worship a specific deity by any kind of means. Like, I just, <laughs> right? I just <laughs> felt like they were not, like, there was nothing religious about their, right. about their group. It was just based in, you know, 
exploration and science and experimentation. Right. I do feel like, you know, once you know, sh- shit hits the fan eventually. I hope it's okay to curse on this podcast. Things I didn't ask. Great. It's okay to curse and it's okay to talk about spoilers. Great. Um, perfect. Um, I do feel like once, you know, things start to hit the fan a little bit, like in Biosphere, there's a lot of media spin, like on like the Biospherians and like the project itself. And like, it's like, you know, this was like dubious cult members. And like, I feel like it's just like what sometimes 24 hour media does is it like digs at anything it can and then like tries to sensationalize it. Um, Because we see that all the time now. Um, So I, I don't feel like it was, I don't feel like they were ever, you know, asked to stay like you know there was no one was being held against their will like just you know no one they don't really go into like was income given back to the collective like none of that is gone into but I I do feel like these people you know felt compelled to try to make the world better and they were going to do that you know in any way shape or form that they could and then you have these outsiders that come in these you know, seven Biospherians, one of them is an original member of the collective making eight, and they buy into everything too. I mean, obviously, if we want to talk about cults, cults can be, you know, cult leaders and things like that can be very charismatic. But I, these people were scientists, these people were in it for researching, uh, research purposes, these people, you know, they also had that same sort of, you know, make the world better mentality. So I don't know. I I don't think that it seemed, it didn't seem cult-like to me. I do feel like the media, you know, in the way that they portrayed the media in this documentary seemed to spin it that way. But it seems like John Allen was just incredibly charismatic and, and wanted to make a difference. So. But I also could see why, like he, in a group like that, like, especially if you're trying to like recruit new members, like to perhaps go into your biosphere, you need a charismatic leader who can like, you know, uh, lead the way in like finding those people. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that that person says, can identify what they're yeah. looking for. Yeah. Someone says at some point too, is that he, I forget exactly who said it, but um, that he was kind of like, um, um, he was like, a, I don't think he said mind manipulator. He said like a mind masseuse or something like that, where he was like very good at like being able to like understand what people wanted and how to give that to them. And like, he was also very good at being withholding, you know, like, I'm sure that you could delve very deeply, more deeply into John Allen than this documentary did. Um, he, cause he does seem like he's a very interesting character, but I don't, I didn't get the nefarious vibe there, but I don't know. I, I, I more, maybe further research needs to be done on John Allen on my part before I give him my full endorsement. <laughs> sure. Sure. Right. The other so, thing that I want to just to bring up and maybe you're bringing it up later, Jad is the very, very, like vital role that that Texas billionaire played in yes. all of this. Yes. So actually, can we talk about that now? That was actually the next sure. theme I want to bring right. up. So yeah. The idea of communication or lack of communication or maybe dubious communication going on throughout this entire film. So we see in regards to the synergist themselves, right? So it's a large organization. It has a lot of intellectuals and artists and, and uh, different types of like industry people and stuff involved within it. Um, but at the same time, they're having a lot of trouble building up a relationship with the scientific community, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And then what Dusty just mentioned, they then build up this kind of business relationship 
with Ed Bass, who's yeah. oil billionaire, oil mogul from Texas. Yeah. Uh, who's very much um, ecologically driven, right? He's right. into the ecology of it. What, how specifically? I don't know. Uh, but if he's an oil baron, probably not in a great way. Um, so, but Ed Bass was with them from the beginning. Like Ed Bass, right. Ed Bass bankrolled all of those, like the Australia Project and the London Art Gallery right. and the boat and the you know the yeah. uh, the uh, even the ranch, like. When we were watching it... Yeah, at one point, you just threw up your hands and were like, where are are they getting the money? (laughs) I was like, who's bankrolling this? Like, they don't... Are they all just rich kids? Like, they don't look like it, but, like, what's happening here? Enter Ed Bass. Enter Ed Bass. They were like, oh, yeah, the whole point was that Ed Bass would front all of the money and materials that we needed, and we would go in and improve something, and it would be money-making. And it was like, clearly he believed in the synergists as like a group who could do something. And it was like, he was just their, you know, their bankrolling producer. Right. And I think too, like, you know, he wasn't, he's not a stupid businessman at at one point too. Like when they're talking about biosphere, you know, he, they, they say that Ed was basically like knowing that it wasn't going to get like a short term return, but the goal of the biosphere in his mind was that, um, basically, eventually, like all of these companies, especially as space exploration became more profitable and possible, you know, would look to Ed for all these licenses and all this data and all this research based off of what happened in the biosphere. So he was looking for like a long term payout. Um, so, you know, I think despite the fact that, you know, he was maybe in it for the same reasons that the synergists were that, you know, there there was still a business, you know, acumen behind his, um, behind his motives. Um, and, I and also was, think that there was yeah. like a, you know, a visionary and, you know, sort of also want to like create something of worth, you know, to people from him. Because right. like, if you're a Texas billionaire, if you're an oil billionaire, right? Like, you could just like sit on your money and like just live the rest of your life and do nothing. Or you could like try and use it to do something that is like worthwhile and like makes the world a better place. Right. Because who, who is uniquely positioned? How many people are actually uniquely positioned as billionaires who could like actually just bankroll entire projects like that? Right. So I think, yeah, I think he, he and John Allen had a relationship that was like, John Allen's like, I have the people and the like um, means by which to actually like build the thing. We just need the money. And then he could, you know, that's how he could be a part of the group, you know? Yeah. It definitely wasn't a tourist enough attraction to it. Um, And there was kind of, I think a failure of communication a little bit because of that too. Right. Uh, Because they weren't completely honest with the public about how they wanted to go about the project. Yeah. yeah. I really wanted them to get more into that. And I feel like, well, they had the publicist on, um, what was her name? I liked her. She was like really spunky. Um, and she just said, she was like, I told John and the CEO who was the architect of the boat. This is just me forgetting all the names. Um, her name, she became CEO of biosphere. Right. Um, 
he was she was like i told them disclose everything disclose everything to the public and you won't have problems and they ignored her and so like i i do feel like you know there there comes this time where it's revealed like shockingly that there's a carbon scrubber in the biosphere um and you know the scientific community and everyone is just like ah this just invalidates everything and you know, I think if you had said from the get-go, you know, we are putting this in as a precautionary measure. Obviously, we've never done something like this before. This is going to be taking out a minimum amount of carbon because Mark Nelson even says that. He's like, you know, there was this whole kerfuffle over the carbon scrubber and it's like it took out the most minimal amount of carbon. So I, I do feel like, you know, watching the documentary, it was so interesting to to see the media spin, like the media spin on everything. And maybe I just was so compelled and like, I was just taken with this story, but I was, I was compelled um, because I, I think it's such a fascinating venture. And I do think like, of course, like, you know, this is an experiment. So we have to make sure a, that, you know, we do want to try to do it in sterile environment so that, you know, we can, use the data and use it well. But we also have eight people that are living in this environment along with countless animals. Um, and we want to try to keep them healthy too. So sometimes the rules of the game have to change, you know, it doesn't invalidate the entirety of the research. Um, but I, I do feel like there was, because of miscommunication, there was all this crazy spin that then seemed to just like totally upend what this project was to begin with, you know, as a, as a way to, um, to really do some important research on the planet and what was possible for potential space exploration and, and how we could solve some of the big environmental issues maybe that we're facing right now and have been, have been exacerbated since that point in history. The other thing I want to add to that, um, is that, you know, the, speaking of the media, it's like, you know, the media, it's now a little easier to do this because we because of the internet. But this was the time before the internet, meaning like the only media we were getting was from like the six o'clock news or the 10 o'clock news or whatever. Um, and so it's really easy to talk to one scientist and have one scientist respond and not then like make a claim like the science community hasn't fully embraced this. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm curious a little bit more about, um, because they brought in, I guess what I don't know is how many, you know, they didn't really get into how many scientists were, you know, consulted in the building of Biosphere. It just sort of like looked like in the documentary to me, at least, that these people, if they weren't scientists, they sort of learned how to become scientists or like they... You know, they also, maybe they reached out and talked to some people, but it was ultimately them who built this thing. And then it was like scientists going like, well, we weren't consulted. But I'm like, surely they consulted scientists in the creation of this. And then followed by that, or following that, I want to say like, um, you know, the, I, I feel like, yes, I agree with the publicist to say, you know, just disclose everything and be totally transparent because then we're all on the same team. If suddenly, 
they find out that you've been keeping stuff from us, then they're going to feel like, oh, you're the bad guys now. And so if you're, if your experiment fails, then it's because, you know, you had ill intentions the entire time. I have two comments on that, actually. Go for it. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. But like, uh, the first thing is that John Allen and Kathleen Gray, his wife, mm-hmm. um, or not Kathleen Gray, what's her name? Marie Harding. Kathleen Gay's salty in the beginning. Marie Harding um, flashes his like, wife or partner. They both weren't they reacted very negatively when they got put pressure on them to be more transparent. Right. And it clearly had a lot to do with like the support systems that was coming in from that carbon, um, scrubber, whatever they call it, scrubber. Yeah. And stuff, because, um, once they were put under that scrutiny, they just really reverted back in and they just started losing a lot of people close within them. There was that one gentleman who accused them of, uh, being like abusive parents. Do you guys remember that? Yes. Which is that uh, was really weird, and also in regards, in regards to, to the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really odd. He kind of goes and he has like this one-on-one meeting with the Biosphereans, right? And he's talking to them. And oh they, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. you remember um, he that? Was the, he was the um, he was the desert specialist. Yeah, um, yeah, he was the assistant yeah. to the manager. He looked like right. Dwight Street kind of, yeah, like, <laughs> with a giant beard. Yeah, um, very good beard. Yeah. yeah, yes, and. Um, the second thing is like it kind of ties into this like uh how many scientists were actually involved right we do obviously you know see the biospherians do have a very good background within that and i think they even have like a medical doctor or a biologist on board mm-hmm. but there's no academic ties right they're not tied up with a specific institution right and you can see that when they test it out right they build out that model which they're showing to the um to the world right and they're testing it out you know showing it to ed bass or whatever mm-hmm. and then they immediately jump to the construction of the big biosphere, right? Which um, led to this issue of the carbon. They weren't able to produce enough oxygen as much as there was being carbon dioxide being emitted within it, right? Right, right. Right, or the, or the plant life wasn't able to recycle that fast enough too. Yes, exactly. And it, so, seemed, like, it seemed like winter, um, because of the lack of light um, and the, you know, the stunted growing season probably was the thing that played a big role in that, that wasn't considered um, because I think that also was, you know, hindered them from um, harvesting crops. They said that, you know, at one point they were like, you know, in the winter we had to just grow what would grow very fast um, and would propagate very fast and and would yield a lot. Um, And it got very tiring to have like beat everything, but it was what it was, you know, we had to deal with it. Yeah. Indeed. And I feel that, you know, um, if they had those ties with those institutions, if they had worked with maybe NASA, right? Mm-hmm. Or if they had worked with, uh, I don't know, the University of Chicago Rutgers, uh, you know, they could have determined that, I think, pretty quickly or maybe tried avoiding it. Right. Um, you know, I don't know how well studied it was in the 90s when this took place. Right. But um, it seems you know, like, oh, sorry, Jad, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm just saying it just, you know, it was a dangerous situation. Right. They, put, they really put people in danger there yeah. uh, for a minute, too. It seems like they're, you know, because of their belief structure, I hate to use that because it really does make them sound like a cult, but um, because of the way that they operated, let's go with that. Um, their value system. Their value system. It seems like, it seemed like, well, you know, we built a boat, we can do anything. You know what I mean? We don't need like a shipbuilder to tell us what to do or how to do it. We figured it out ourselves. And like, you know, we don't need, you know, the scientific community 
uh, now I'm putting words in their mouth, but that's what it seems like was maybe their value system. Like we can do anything. We are, you know, we are many and we can figure this out. But again, I'm sure, you know, without us doing the research, I'm sure they must have had consultants and, you know, scientists other than like the botanists and, you know, the biologists that they were bringing in to set up the ecosystems. Like there, you know, there must have been quite an operation because you see all these scientists that like there were a few newspaper articles that they showed like 10 scientists quit from um, Biosphere Project. Or then there was that like employee who they they did the voice alteration <laughs> for, um, which is always funny, um, who left the Biosphere, like who was clearly a scientist too. You know, so I feel like there must have been there must have been some level of consultation. Maybe it wasn't university affiliated, but, you know, I'm sure there were scientists that were consulted. And then at the end, you see that they bring in, they do bring in other scientists from the outside that weren't a part of the project to try to get the project vetted um, and to try to make it, um, I guess, to have more legs to stand on, I guess. Um, so, yeah. There's, okay, so now I want to bring this up too. It's like, you know, when it comes to it, I mean, it does, it goes back to intention, right? Okay. Maybe it is a little weird that they all wore those suits. Okay. Like that costume designer who made those suits, right? Right. I was a little bit <laughs> like, Star Trek stuff, man. I love it. okay, right. Branding is important. And I do feel like that was an act of branding, but right. like, I don't know, like, not, like if, like, I feel like you know, this was a giant grand gesture. And I feel like people who have done significantly less with their work could easily just from their corners say like, oh, well, you know, they didn't do this. So therefore, like, it's invalidated and, you know, right. whatnot. Um, but I'm, I'm a little like, okay, but yeah, like, Anytime a grand gesture like this is made, there's going to be flaws. And the point is, is like, what are the flaws and how do we learn from them? Right. And they, when they got secretive, then it feels like, oh, you're, there's something you're not telling us. Or there's something like, or this idea that like, you just want this to be a performance that's perfect versus a scientific experiment that like reacts truthfully you know what i mean like that looks like the fact that they you know had the carbon scrubber and the fact that they had the oxygen tanks had they just said like listen we have these on reserve for an emergency situation and if it happens then we're gonna have to like like remodel the whole experiment in order to do that but we're prepared for that if they would have just said that then i think people would not have like um started a crusade to just, uh, you know, try and invalidate the work that they were doing. Because I do feel like, I don't feel like there was any part of them. It didn't seem to me that any part of them was like just out for fame or just right. out for money. You know what I'm this saying? Gonna, like, there were other, really there are other things you can do for that. And like, this is like, not that, you know? This is a really good segue into the next uh, uh, theme that I want to talk about, this idea of like corporatism versus collectivism, right? Um, so so there's kind of like a twist at the end there that kind of like Dusty alluded to a little bit. Um, <laughs> Which one? Because <laughs> that... Where, where uh, you know, eventually John Allen was, you know... Ousted? 
was ousted and yeah. they brought in Steve Bannon. I think we oh that screamed. I screamed. <laughs> I was like, well, I read his name first, and it was like, did they say Steve Bannon? Did that was that like as in the Steve Bannon that we all know and hate and hate right. <laughs> That confused the shit out of me too, man. Because I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe this is like a common Irish name or something." No, nope. here is the Steve And then I was like, "Those nope. eyes, those evil eyes are staring yeah. at me," you yeah. know. And lo and behold, it's the Steve Bannon. Lo yeah. and what behold, a twist. that was like I could never have pictured that coming. Never, like a million miles away. Never. Like, holy cow. <laughs> That's insane. So, Tell us a little bit what happened with that. Okay, so, right, like, at the um, end, toward the end, right, like, Biosphere, like, they finally get to the end of the two years, and, you know, the people come out, and then they have to sort of move into, like, well, what's next for Biosphere now that the experiment's done? And that was, like, kind of a moment of, like, okay, let's, Let's quickly, um, you know, clean house and restructure so that we can make this the profitable machine we want it to be. And so when that happened, it was like basically all the synergists were ousted and then new people were brought in to say, like, essentially, you have this structure and you have this, you know, like uh, process that can happen inside of it. How do you make money off of it so to me in that moment it was like uh, to me what's his name uh the billionaire the oil billionaire ed bass ted bass ed ed bass thank you ed bass had to singing bass family right (laughs) ed bass had to go okay i have to make a choice here like now I have all this negative press around this thing that costs $200 million. And like, that's a huge amount of money, you know, and, and he's not making money too. And he's not, not making money off of it. So he has to say, okay, I have to make money off of this now. So again, had their, had their, you know, she basically, uh, said in one of her interviews, I forget her name, but she was like, after a lot of really heated meetings and she like, she said meetings, like it had quotes around it. She was like, they decided to part ways. And like, I'm sure that like, yes, John Allen had more of a, you know, vision for what could have, could be for biosphere too. And Uh, essentially like Ed Bass was like, no, I need it to be like a capitalistic money-making venture. I need that to happen yesterday. So I think that was when that was, you know, they parted ways and like the ideals of what they ultimately wanted for Biosphere 2. And when that happened, they they brought in Steve Bannon. Yes. So Mike, tell us a little bit of what what happened with, uh, with that. Cause it's like, um, yeah, like, do you think the documentary um, kind of, like, expressed that well? Well, I just feel like, you know, that other shoe that dropped all of a sudden at the end was so, like, quickly dropped. And then I feel like the documentary sort of wrapped up fairly fast, you know, from that point. 
um, which I do feel like the story became interesting because eventually the biosphere does become property of the University of Arizona. Um, and in the post credits, you do learn that Ed Bass has, you know, donated money um, to continue the research um, at Biosphere 2, whether that was, you know, out of guilt or because he, you know, wants to continue to be associated with it in some way, shape or form. Um, it's really not said, but um, they do, you know, they, they talk to a lot of the scientists that the Biospherians um, and, uh, you know, they, I think, were... First of all, when they left, there were so many of them that were, you know, ready to leave, but some of them really wanted to stay and they really wanted to see things through further. And they were, you know, excited by what was happening. And, you know, as soon as they were able to, you know, regulate the oxygen levels in the environment, it seemed like everything was like honky-dory again for everybody. And, you know, a lack of animosity was there. Um, but I think, you know, part of the crushing blow was the fact that, you know, they had all this data that I feel like the scientific community, because it wasn't like a vetted project in a lot of ways, and because there were things that, you know, went awry. Um, and they also talk about the fact that, you know, they sort of invalidate it from the beginning, because they say, there was a, I think it was a it was a television interview um, or it was a, a reporter just saying that, you know, talking to the scientists, they, they say the experiment's totally invalid anyway, because it can't be repeated. And, you know, the whole point of an experiment to test results is to be able to repeat that experiment, you know, in exact with the exactly the same conditions so that, you know, hypotheses and theses can be tested and proven. Um, well, that, so, and that made me think about like, well, why did they choose the two year period? Like, why didn't they choose like, four six month periods where like they did like a six month period and either like the same people were brought in again. You know what I'm saying? But right. like, I didn't know why they, it's I such a long period. I, I think don't. because my guess is that because a lot of this was geared towards travel through space and travel, you know, off planet, like part of the, the genesis of this project, you know, they talk about um, a movie, a science fiction movie, which the name escapes me at this moment in time. Um, but, you know, where there are these basic, there's this ship that has different zones on it and there's someone that's like the forest keeper. And I think it's called Silent Running, if that is correct, maybe. Good for me, bonus points. I'll check um, that for you, Silent Running. Yeah, I think it's Silent Running. Um, and so... Yeah. Um, um, I, I do, I, feel, I do like, feel like, you know, a lot, you know, of, that a lot time of that time period, period was, probably was probably to test, test you know, you how, know how, how long could human beings last in a closed, in a closed in Earth-like, Earth-like environment, environment. Um, um, so that so we that can, we kind, can of kind of take this knowledge, this knowledge and, then and then expand it into, into space exploration, exploration. Um, um, and really see, you know, is two years too long a period of time? What problems will arise? You know, will things be self-sustainable? And I feel like a lot of those questions were answered, even though, you know, the the rules of the game changed, like, you know, Dusty said it before, like, like, sometimes sometimes experiments, you know, have to be altered, so then you change the benchmark, you change the marker that you're working towards, especially when there are people's lives on the line. But I do feel like that destruction of that data that happens towards the end of the film, once Steve Bannon takes over, Kind of kind underscores the scrutiny from the scientific, scientific community. community. Like, like, well, this, well, this was, was just, just a garbage, garbage like, like, you know, um, 
like, like all, uh, all, all flash and no, no, you know, you know actual, actual like research, research or actual, actual foundation, foundation sort of project, project. Like, like this was just all a gimmick. So, so like this data is, is dumb. dumb. Let's, let's burn, burn it all. You know, you know I, I, I feel like that was. Or let's get rid of it. They destroy all the data. Not all, a large, large portion of it. Yeah. Apparently, a lot of actual scientific institutions benefited from it. I'm sure, I'm sure they, they did. did. Like, like, field. Field. I mean, yeah. Exactly yeah. What they've done. You know, yeah. yeah. I, don't I don't see how they, how couldn't, they couldn't. Um, just, just from, from. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's incredible, incredible too to think about setting up, up like, like a environments, environments, those different environments, environments like building, building a coral reef. And you know, they talked about that at one point in the film. Like, if we can build a coral reef and like transport it and get it to survive, like we can do anything. You know, it's this whole idea like. I feel, I feel like, like this, this is like the synergist like mantra. mantra. It's like, like if we, we can do this, this if we can we build a ship that like sails around, around the world, and we can, we do, can anything. do anything. If we can we build a coral reef that you know, we can sustain and like transfer, and we can do anything. So I feel like they do have this like very positive outlook throughout, and it's like you know, if we can do this one thing, then what's the next biggest thing? And let's try to shoot for that, and then go from there, and like regroup and then see what's possible after that. I feel like that. You know, you it's know, a, lot a lot of, of what, what they, they, they did, did throughout, throughout the film, or what we were, you know, what we were shown of their history. history. Um, um, moving, moving from, from one, one big project to the next, to the next um, and eventually ending with And the other thing I want to add on to this about the ending is, like, I felt, and I said this to Mike after we watched it, I was like, I felt like the documentarians had a really clear sort of like even bias when it came to the telling of the story. And then at the end, because they included that line, like, you know, corporate business taking things away from the innovators or the artists, like, then I was like, oh, that's, like, that to me felt like now you have an opinion. Like, there's your point of view. Like, that's that was the moment where I felt like, you know, they didn't need to include that line. And I'm sure they had a lot of conversation about including it. But, like, to me, that said, to the doc, that, said that the documentarians were in a way painting big business as the villain of this whole story. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned bias. Um, use such predictive words uh, <laughs> when I converse with you, Dusky. It's great. Um, so I want to ask you guys one more thematic question prior to like final thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that there was a sense of privilege that these people were experiencing that other people um, that gave them the opportunity to perform this? You know, that would not have been available for other peoples. Like, for example, if you like a group of African Americans or if a group of Arabs. You know, oh. or something that would that were to come in and do that. You know, yeah. I, I, without a background as um, Yeah, I'm not you know, laughing at that. I'm laughing yeah. in the fact that like we like started watching it, and then it was like, here are the eight biospherians from diverse backgrounds, and we both screamed white. white. It was so white. It and was so white. There was so, so many. I mean. White. Even the like visitors, there was that clip of the one like group of visitors of young black women who were like, "Why are there no black women in there?" Mm-hmm. You know, I you know so, you know, so there was definitely a sense of privilege. I felt like from from the beginning because especially to be connected to a group that had access to a billionaire's money, yet yeah, right. you right. immediately have privilege, and like that's you know, 
I just don't know that uh, they would have gotten all that paperwork signed and all the, you know, gone through all the different sort of uh, gatekeepers of, you know, business and uh, industry and enterprise in order to do the projects that they wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't feel like that would have happened at all. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I I do feel like, you know, it, you know, the idea of it all is really nice and it's idyllic and it's just so, it's so lacking diversity. It's, it's kind of incredible at how, you know, undiverse it was like from the get go. So that, that is something definitely very interesting, um, especially when you think about the privilege of the whole experience and, yeah, just uh, I, I'm just even trying to think about like when they were doing the candidate interviews, um, when they had like 16 biospherians like as you know potential runners, and I, I don't remember seeing any people of color there either. Like, you know what I mean? It it just was it was very interesting. I mean, it was a different time, but it was only like you know, it wasn't that long ago. So yeah, it was in the 90s, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Early 90s, yeah, and like it was definitely, you know, like a it was a time when there was a sense of, you know, we need to be aware of, you know, like, like the uh, you know, the whole political correctness, like, you know, was really sort of born and came into like the realm of, you know, awareness, uh, you know, in the 90s, which it's like that whole thing is not the, like, that and inclusion are completely different sort of, you know, uh, values. You know what I mean? Like, inclusion is a value system versus, like, political correctness, which to me is, like, a, you know, a a collection of words that you use to appear a certain way. And I just was, like, you know, I was curious if, like that was going to be something that, you know, appeared like, or had, you know, became more on their radar as like they were to continue on because like they started as a group of young white people and then like they got all the way into the biosphere and chose eight people to go in there who were also reflective of that eight white people, you know? And so I just was like, what's the, like, what is happening here that there's so much just like, I mean, it goes back to just, it's not a, it's not a pipeline problem. It's an opportunity problem. And um, I don't, you know, and I think like this is an example of how, you know, because of the just sort of, you know, the times because of the way they were, I don't know that they necessarily like had it on their mind to go like, oh, let's look around and see like we're all the same, you know? Yeah, it wasn't as dis- discussed as much. During, no, yeah. not at all. During, during that period, you know. And I'm not excusing them by saying that. I'm just saying, like, it's it's something we talk about now all the time. And, um, and like, I do wish that the documentarians, I feel like 
The documentarians probably, you know, I don't know. I, m my feeling is like, including that clip from that young black woman who was from Brooklyn was sort of their way of saying like, this was the only sort of clip we could find where this was mentioned, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I just feel like they would have had a lot more, there would have been much more involvement with law enforcement, maybe. I don't know. It's Arizona, right? I <laughs> can't say the same as, the, as New Jersey. If this were to happen in New Jersey, it probably would not go far. Um, unless I had <laughs> official <laughs> approval or someone's blessing, you know? Um, but I felt like that at some point of time, they would have had like an FBI visit come through or something. And um, yeah, I would have loved to see the documentaries, or the documentarians rather, uh, you know, dig into that and kind of ask and push, you know, John Allen and his crew kind of on that aspect of it a little bit you know mm -hmm. um and it really focused in on it a little bit more because it definitely did have an impact right and the media knew how to take advantage of that impact and use it kind of to their benefit or rather to kind of spur things along um yeah why don't we give uh, some final thoughts on what you guys thought of the movie overall of the documentary you know would you recommend it to your friends uh, mike what do you think so i you know i am not the biggest of documentary watchers um I, I had seen this advertised actually oddly enough on instagram and i was like oh i really am actually really interested in in taking a, a watch of this um i just find that i tend to like err away from documentaries but I have seen plenty of documentaries that I've enjoyed. Um, I would recommend this. I I did enjoy, I think the story is very captivating. I think um, from start to finish in the way that they frame everything and, and, and seeing the history of this group and what they were able to achieve, it is incredibly impressive, uh, you know, and it's incredibly impressive that they were able to do it in, you know, such different times with, um, where they were able to do things that, you know, today might be a little easier, like just building a boat, for example, but they were able to kind of like pull together and use their collective minds, their collective bodies, uh, their collective inspiration and their collective spirit to do something. Um, and that I feel like just continued to skyrocket for them. And I, you know, I found it to be really, really interesting in so many different ways. I think the twist at the end was just like extra like sprinkles on top of the ice cream. So like I I was I was taken with it. I enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it. Excellent. What about you, Dustin? Um yeah, I would definitely recommend it too. Like it's I've been thinking about it so much since watching it and I just, you know, I like a documentary that'll do that. And I love documentaries. And I'm really sort of very, you know, uh, critical of the way that they are, you know, built and or composed, I should say. Because a documentary film is essentially like, as a documentarian, they drop themselves into a, into a situation to explore without any sort of idea of what the ending even shape will look like. So... I really thought that these documentarians were really smart and they um, crafted a story that made me compelled to follow these people through the end of it because I could very, very easily have like turned on them if it was just like, oh, they we have all this money in this thing and that, like we have all this money and this person bankrolls everything and it's like, I liked that they placed that where they did because they answered my questions right when I had them. 
So I was able to still, like, maintain a sense of, like, oh, like, you know, if you just, like, find the right group of people and, like, you work really hard, maybe amazing things can happen. And so I do feel like it is an on one, in one sense, telling that story. And that also, you know, when you, when you take a giant step, like they did with Biosphere 2, like, you know, there are, there are sometimes, you know, consequences for that. And sometimes that means you lose the thing you've made. And that's just how it is, you know? So I think it is an experiment in, or it is, uh, you know, the whole thing is a, uh, shows you what it's like to really take a risk. Definitely. I agree. Um, I, you know, I totally recommend it uh, as a, as a nice, you know, movie night watch for all of you guys listening. Um, and it definitely does have that idea of hope, you know, this idea of getting together and being able to kind of create something that's bigger than yourself. And although it was flawed and the process wasn't perfect, um, it did really kind of show, uh, it was a feat, right? It was a big architectural feat, um, you know, for, for humanity to do that and to be able to do that independently. Like, that's just so awe-inspiring. Uh, there's this other great documentary called Wild Wild Country. It has the same thing, but as I said earlier, it's a little bit more dubious in terms of their intent. Um, but, you know, there, there's kind of like this separation from the players, right? You have the different actors on the stage, if you will. John Allen, um, what's her name? Uh, Marie Harding, Kathleen Gray, um, Ed Bass, Mark Nelson, all these different people, right? But at the same time, there are those working under them. They're these laborers, right? They're these people who are leaving their their life for their norm to come through and work towards something that's much bigger than them too, right? And it's like the same thing with the Rajneeshi cult, right? There was like the actual you know, people who were working there, and then there was like kind of the manipulators within that too. Um, so it's the fact that they be they can come together and really be able to accomplish that. Um, it's just like you know, I think that's very fascinating and awe inspiring, and it does make you think of that. You know, um, I like a documentary that does, you know, I like documentaries that challenge me and my perceptions, but this is pretty cool because it kind of shows you that, you know, we can always do something different. It doesn't always have to be, you know, clear and cut and traditional or whatever, kind of like that, you know, post-World War II, uh, you know, idea that everyone was like enamored with, right? Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. It's definitely a nice watch. Um, and yeah. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. I'm Jad. I'm one of the writers here at the Workprint. You can find me at Jad Cato. Um, and thanks so much to uh, my wonderful guest co-host, Dustin Ballard and Mike Ryan. Guys, where can we find your stuff online? And especially with uh, the, the player podcast too. Sure. Um, if you are looking for stuff online, you can go to our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at gazeatthenationalparks. Um, and our podcast is of the same name, Gaze at the National Parks. And you can find that on Apple, Stitcher, um, Spotify, wherever spodcasts are, or spodcast, podcasts are found. Um, and that's Gaze, G-A-Z-E. Oh, yeah, I concur. Yeah, you can find <laughs> us there. We're also on Facebook. And um, uh, those are the main sources that we, um, you know, output to. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, gentlemen. Um, I hope to have you guys back on this podcast in the future. Uh, maybe we can do like a horror movie or something. Oh, yeah, yeah awesome. let's do. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Chad.